Remember we used to have Halloween parties as children, and we would wrap each other with toilet paper to play Who's the Mummy Now? And <laughs> I don't know, it's probably not called that, but that's a great name for it. It was it was a race. Who's your mummy? The- wow, see ya. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Guide to the Unknown. There is no Kristen, and I'm her little brother, Will. And on this very special Monday edition of Guide to the Unknown, we are going to rewind. We're going to replay a topic that we covered almost exactly two years ago to set the table for a brand new episode that's going to hit all of your feeds this Friday. Way back on episode 24 of Guide to the Unknown, Haunted Items on eBay and The Mummy, we covered The Mummy. But you know what? Because of the way we used to do things back then, we only gave ourselves like half an episode's worth of time to cover any given topic. And so we didn't really get to dive into all there is to say about The Mummy. So enjoy this flashback conversation where we talk about really fun things, like the sort of supposed quote-unquote real-life curses of The Mummy. And definitely join us this Friday to hear everything new we have to say about The Mummy as a horror movie monster that it was turned into. Uh, I actually just rewatched the 1932 original Universal movie monster version of The Mummy, where Boris Karloff uh, played Imhotep. It was super fun, but there's going to be so much more to say about that on Friday. Uh, You know what? If you want to join us for the recording of that episode, you can join us this Wednesday on youtube.com slash talkbomb at 6 p.m. Eastern. We record Guide to the Unknown live there every single week. So you could join us in the chat, talk back to us, or just hang out with the other people in the audience there. And either way, you'll get more Mummy on Friday. So enjoy this flashback episode, and we will see you later on this week. Uh, Here it is from Guide to the Unknown, episode 24, The Mummy. Mr. Kristen, tonight, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about mummies. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Including mm-hmm. the curse of the mummy. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yay. Uh, what might happen I'm to in. you if you unseal a mummy's tomb? If I curse a mummy? If you curse a mummy. Yay. Kristen, word of advice, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> All right. Now, I've been wanting to talk about mummies for quite some time, yeah. to be perfectly honest. I think mummies are interesting, but mm-hmm. I do not know much about them. And uh, we all know there was the Tom Cruise mummy movie that came out last year. Sure do. Did not do very well. I don't know if you saw it. No, I didn't. It was not good. Yeah. So uh, it just so happens that as I was starting my research to talk about mummies for this show, yeah. I Googled mummy to get the Wikipedia oh, cool. page for mummy. And I found out that as of this recording, this article was posted yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. On NewYorkTimes.com. Cool. The FBI and the mystery of the mummy's head. Cool. This is a 4,000-year-old mummy decapitated head, Kristen. That's awesome. Isn't that rad? Yeah. And it is a a governor Uh uh, who his tomb had previously been raided and... uh, People weren't sure. He he was buried with his wife. Yeah. His name was Jehutnacht. Uh-huh. He was, he was buried in his tomb with his wife. Mm-hmm. And then at some point between 4,000 years ago and now, his grave was robbed and his... Uh, his head was knocked off his body. Yeah. Well, I guess all I can really tell you is that 
uh, a head was ripped off one of the bodies. Right, right. Now, a lot of the remaining artifacts found their way into a museum. They were displayed, but it was displayed as just being a mummy, a mummified head yeah. from Jehutnacht's tomb, not knowing if it was his or his wife's. This article was posted yesterday, April 2nd, 2018, because archaeologists using modern-day technology have now determined whose head it is, Jehutnacht or his wife. love it when stuff like that happens. It's awesome. Uh, this is like, in a, in, a, in a way, it's just sort of a story of the triumph of science. I, I love that. It's, it's not common that you're able to actually get a DNA sample from a mummy. A lot of the ways that uh, people end up mummified, there are two ways one is deliberately being mummified. One of them is spontaneous, they call it. So if you're spontaneously mummified, it's almost like Pompeii-type mm -hmm. stuff. Or like, uh, you know, like you died in a, a, a dry, arid climate. And you're naturally mummified. Wow. It, which is interesting. Yeah. Like, it, the definition of a mummy expands it so much that it's like, wow, almost everything right. is being mummified. Embalming somebody... Turning somebody into a mummy is just preparing them for burial. Right. So we mummify people today. Yeah. Yeah, that I know. Yeah. yeah. Although everybody still thinks about a mummy as being distinctly the Egyptian process, the whole thing of like removing the organs through the nose, jars for different organs, stuff like I'm that. I'm about to say, I think the people associate kind of, yeah, the sarcophagi and things that go along with the body of a mummy right. with mummying but it's just a process basically yeah. and then we called them mummies yes yeah. they became mummies right and then they became weirdly sort of like I, there is something distinctly strange about the fascination yeah with a the, the like dead egyptian royalty almost to the point of like just like pointing a finger at them and like dehumanizing them in a yeah. weird way like stealing their bodies and putting them in, up in museums. It's very weird. It's very, very weird. I think it's partially maybe some racism. Yeah. But then also fascination with the fact that they were buried with jewels and things like that that we value. Yeah. So we want to see that. Well, it's also interesting because it, it feels in a weird way like we can't wrap our heads around paying utmost respect to the dead. Like it seems yeah. like, you know, in Western culture, we distinctly like uh, – like a lot of people view the elderly as something like scary or worrisome or whatever. And like, that's not the case. And like, it's a really good point. So it's somewhat baffling to be like, you like, you spent countless hours like preparing this person and making sure that they were happy for the afterlife. Like it's, it's very, it's very intriguing to, to think about. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, a team of scientists. Now, bear in mind, this is where it gets a little gnarly. Uh -huh. All right. And if you're watching live, I literally have a mummy's decapitated head on the screen right now. Yeah. But it's not that freaky, right? Like, no, no. Uh -uh. There's something about it that removes the humanity. Well, it's partially because of this, you know, it's the like gauze or whatever yeah. material is wrapped around the face. It doesn't look like skin, it's which is why weird. I think it it's not as scary looking. It, it almost looks like it's a sculpture or something, even though something it's not. That, that feels very academic and professional. It's from the New York Times. Yeah. You know? yeah. So anyway, this Classy team operation. of scientists were able to uh, use a camera and put it through the neck of the mummy to reach up and inside the mummy's mouth to get DNA from a tooth. And that is how they determined that this is the head of Jehutnacht himself, the governor of 4,000 years ago. So now they have updated the placard in the museum to, to give an identity back to this person. So 
Cool. Is that not fascinating? What museum is this in again? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Allie and I went to a museum in London, the, the British Museum, where they have a gigantic uh, uh, Egyptology section. Uh-huh. But this seems to be, well, uh, Jehutnacht was sent to the Museum of Fine Arts in 1921. Uh, oh, no. It this might... feels like something I should just know. No, that's all right. It might still be there. Yeah. I'm... You can, obviously, if you guys look up mummies and hit the news thing on Google, then you'll find this article and then you'll find out where it is. Yeah, you really, I really that's encourage right. everybody to read this it article. It seems it's, like that's where it is, Will, because they just, said something, about, they just said something about the Massachusetts hospital. So, okay, yeah. Right. And they even like, they show you, like we've got this rotating 3D image of Jehutnacht's head because a lot of the study of mummies has evolved over the course of time where we don't even have to like unwrap anything or right. further destroy how these people were preserved in order to study them. We can put them in MRIs and and image their body without removing their wrappings. Really fascinating. So awesome. Yeah, really, really crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's only part of the story. My story is sort of all over the place because my uh-huh. topic is just mummies in yeah. total. Uh, uh, we'll get to some cursed stuff, but first I'm going to tell you some gross stuff. Okay. I found out that mummies used to be used for stuff, uh-huh. not just for display and for academic purposes, Literally, it's like Egyptian mummies, you mean, right? Like what we think of as okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's like not that respectful of the dead. No, this is insane. Yeah, this is one of the craziest things I have ever found out for this show. Mummies used to be used for medicinal purposes, by which I mean grinding up dead Egyptian mummies and mummified cats to sell them to people to take as medicine. Oh, man. All of this because of a mistranslation. There was like an old text that was describing like like what mummies are, what they do, whatever. And due to a mistranslation, people thought like, oh, it, it can heal bones. <sighs> so they started to grind mummies up. So essentially, a person would take a dose of a person to try to heal themselves. Wow. Yeah. Now... Uh, because of the way that things are, unfortunately, when actual mummies became scarce uh-huh. and available, oh my God. the sun-desiccated corpses of criminals, slaves, and suicidal people were sometimes substituted by less scrupulent merchants. <laughs> How horrible is that? That's crazy. Yeah, but, uh, but also the art world, I'm sorry, is tainted. Kristen... There is a color of paint called mummy brown. Okay. It is literally created. Kind of a burnt sort of umber color. Yes, that was one of the descriptions that I read of being like, that's why it was used. Yeah. It it would create like very sort of like realistic skin tones, things like that. And um, I have an example of a piece of artwork I'm about to put on the screen for people called Interior of a Kitchen. Oh, man. By Martin Drolling. If you're listening, look it up. It is bonkers. Take a look at this. Uh, it is using very sort of like beautiful earthy browns uh-huh. to create this picture of a, of a kitchen with light coming in through the windows. Yeah. A couple preparing dinner at a table. It uses the color mummy brown. Interesting. This is confirmed as having been using mummy flesh to create pigment for paint. Whoa, whoa, oh, wait. I didn't understand that. I uh-huh. thought you were just saying there was just a color called mummy brown. It was made of mummy stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. Very, very literally, Mummy Brown was originally created using skin. Oh, my God. Dead people. 
Wow. Uh-huh. Interior of a Kitchen by Martin Drolling. Look it uh. up. It is beautiful. Man, those snozberries don't taste like snozberries, huh? <laughs> yeah. Not going to want to lick that. Ma'am, you might want to ask your son to stop licking the paintings. <laughs> just going to say. I should be asking anyway. But, but you're just really... extra, you don't want him licking that. He likes it. Let him do it. <laughs> Ma'am. You're no he likes the brown ones. So let's get to the idea of the curse yeah. of opening a mummy's tomb. Yeah. There, it's, it's a mix of fact and fix, uh, fiction. Uh, a lot of this was sort of... Um, People exaggerating, embellishing, sometimes outright making up uh-huh. uh, what happened to people that opened sealed tombs. There are for as sure, a deterrent from them doing it. Yes, yeah. There are for sure times that archaeologists would open uh, a, a sarcophagus and see a warning, but it's not quite what people eventually went on to think that, like, oh, everybody died. Everybody died within a week. Right. Whatever. Got sick, pestilence, fear, whatever. Um, one of the biggest uh, uh, misconceptions is that, in particular, King Tut's tomb was cursed. Cool. So I'm going to tell you about that. All right, sweet. The tomb was opened in the year 1922, which many say launched the sort of modern fascination with Egyptology. Mm-hmm. The that expedition makes sense. was led by a man named Howard Carter, and it was partially financed by a man named Lord Carnivan. Okay. Okay. All right. On the very day the tomb was opened, Howard Carter sent a messenger to his house, his own house. Mm -hmm. The messenger claimed he heard a faint human-like cry coming from inside. He opened the door, and where uh, Howard Carter's canary cage was, he looked at it. It was weird. There was a cobra in the cage. Oh. Howard Carter's bird was in the maw of a cobra. So a snake in a birdcage devouring his pet bird. Hmm. Here's symbolic. why that's especially symbolic because cobras, if you think of King Tut, the image of any pharaoh that you might think of, you mm-hmm. might think of the image of a cobra coming off the front part of sort of their, their crown. Right. Now, that cobra is a symbol of Egyptian royalty. It is, it's a depiction of Wajit, the goddess of serpents, and that is called a Uraeus. It signifies a pharaoh's claim over the land. So, cool. with Howard Carter opening the tomb and a cobra eating his bird, was it a warning, a punishment, a sort of uh, a metaphorical... Doesn't sound great. It does not sound good. Even crazier, we just read an article from the New York Times about a recent discovery in the world of, of archaeology, Egyptology. This story was picked up by the New York Times, December 22nd, 1920. It's cool. They talked about it. They've been covering the mummy beat for a long time. Yeah, they've been working it. They've been working it for a Mm. long time. Yeah. Within 10 years of King Tut's tomb being opened, there were 11 people of that party that died. One of the biggest that people point to as an example of a curse curse was Lord Carnivan himself as, you know, part of the the financial operation. He died by blood poisoning uh, when he was infected by a mosquito bite. He got bitten on the face by a mosquito. He was shaving. He cut the mosquito bite. Well, that's bad luck. Uh Uh-huh. He somehow then got blood poisoning, some sort of horrible infection. He ended up dying. Later, it was discovered that King Tut himself had a lesion on one of his cheeks. That's cool and weird. Uh Uh-huh. How, uh, uh, however, Lord Carnivan had already been buried. I mean, not for King Tut, but... It wasn't wasn't, uh, possible to determine if they... 
uh, had a similar looking injury on the exact same cheek. But for sure, that was something that people were like, whoa, whoa. That's a good story. Yeah. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself, creator of Sherlock Holmes, suggested that Lord Carnivan had been killed by elementals, which were created by King Tut's priests and ordered to guard the tomb. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had a lot of weird real life ideas. Did he? Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything else. Well, he was he was a spiritualist. He was a, he was like an enthusiast of that movement. Wow. Um, I know that there have been other things where I'm like, of course, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had a, his little paw on this. Oh man, like yeah. some weird things. Yeah. I, I I would love to know more because I found this fascinating. Yeah. Because it sounded like just somebody who's already known to be like sort of creative and inventive, being like, um, yes, he was. Let me think for a second. He was killed by elementals. <laughs> of course. Uh, King Tut's priests ordered to guard the tomb. It's just like, are you using your imagination? It sure seems like you're imagining <laughs> things right in front of me, Arthur. <laughs> we know you're very good at that. Yeah. Your books are a hit. Yeah. There were articles written about how uh, there were warnings of dire punishment that would befall anyone breaking into a sealed tomb. Now, neither Arthur Conan Doyle nor those written reports helped anything. All they did was sort of fuel the fire that King Tut's tomb was definitely cursed. I mean, duh. How would that help anything? Somebody being like, I think elementals went after him. Yes. That's not going to like yes. cool the flames. Right. Now Whatever. also, uh, 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 Lord Carnivan's half-brother, Aubrey Herbert. These are great names. He also died of blood poisoning. That's weird. Isn't that weird? Well, I mean, is it weird though? Like maybe it was blood poisoning, you know. Well, it gets even weirder. Okay. Was Blood Poison the order of the day back then or um, in that area? Well, no, but it was as the result of, I guess, what they thought was a routine surgery. He was having problems with his eyesight, so a dentist removed all his teeth. <laughs> and then he got blood poisoning and he died. So, <laughs> when was this again? This is the 1800s or something? No, 1922. 19- After 1922. Oh, that's right, because the article is 1922. Exactly. So, you know. Well, you know, it was a simpler time. Yeah, I think I'm thinking that Aubrey Herbert was how we learned that teeth don't have much to do with eyes, <laughs> because that doesn't sound smart. That's wild. That doesn't sound right. No. So anyway, uh, uh, eleven people died within ten years of opening the tomb. However, however, there were fifty-eight people as part of that expedition. Now, granted. That's a fifth of them. I'm about, I'm about to say, honestly, that doesn't really sway me away from thinking that that's weird. Correct. But then you get into the sort of like parsing out of like, well, you'll get cursed, but you won't. Then you'll get cursed, but you won't. Why some people, but not others? Are there any theories for that? Were, were there any people who touched a certain thing or were working together on one aspect of the project or anything like that? I'm not going to say no, but I don't have that answer. Okay. Well, I, I mean, probably many people have debated this over the course of decades, nearly 100 years. We're coming up on the hundredth anniversary of I would the opening think of if, King Tut's tomb. I would think if that were the case that we would know about it. So probably not. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but for sure there, there are more people that are saying, Hey, like this was a high profile discovery. So couple that with the fact that we do know that there had been warnings inside some tombs, uh, and then sprinkle on top of that the sort of morbid fascination of people looking at another culture and pointing a finger at it and going like, we don't oh, understand yeah. you, yeah. and suddenly you've got... So you're scary. Exactly, and suddenly you've got a gigantic urban legend. Um, it's an urban legend I really enjoy. Yes, but again, to talk about a little bit some of the tombs that do have uh, curses associated with them, uh, in the tomb of Kentika, here's a quote. As for all men who shall enter this tomb impure, there will be judgment 
An end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. I want that on my grave. Isn't that That's awesome? Really sweet. I shall seize his neck like a bird. Oh, man. By which I mean to say, not at all. <laughs> I've never caught a bird by the neck. <laughs> but I will. You know, that familiar reference that we all understand. I know. But I will cast fear of myself into you. Yes, me too. <laughs> you will fear me. Uh, I'm going to talk about this guy a lot. Archaeologist Zahi Hawass. He gives an example of a curse that you might find. Cursed be those who disturb the rest of a pharaoh. They that shall break the seal of this tomb shall meet death by disease that no doctor can diagnose. Ooh. Great is that? Awesome. That's that sounds like thinner. Yeah, I curse you thinner. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, uh, boy, what's the Sam Raimi Evil Dead? Drag me to hell. Oh yeah. Uh huh. She gets cursed, and there's nothing that can be done about it. It defies any rational explanation. Yeah, that's good. To be in that situation, I feel like you would just go mad right oh, there on the spot. That would drive me nuts if somebody was like, "You have this thing." Yeah, like a a, a, a supernatural curse that there's no doing anything about. Yeah. yeah. Uh. All right. Uh, here are some supposed accounts of times that Zahi Hawass uh, uh, came across sort of curious, scary things in his work as an archaeologist. Cool. All right. Now, I'm not saying that these aren't true. He does seem to be a a, uh, a professional person even today. Uh, yeah. So, but I'm oh, really? still as a... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody that's, look up Zahi Hawass. That's awesome. Reading his stories, he feels like somebody should just do a modern day Indiana Jones with this guy because it's like he's got, listen, listen to some of this stuff. Okay. When he was young, working as a young archaeologist, he was transporting artifacts from a Greco-Roman site called Kam Abu Below. His cousin died that day. One year later, his uncle died. Oh, man. Two years after that, his aunt died. Huh. Yeah. So- you could weave a story out of that. I'm not saying that sure. in and of itself that is frightening. No, but you could absolutely weave something out of that. To be honest, it sounds more of a tragedy for his cousin's family. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That doesn't strike me as that cursy. Right. But for sure, he seems to be it's drawing a line. It's enough of a spread. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Plus, it's the sort of idea not that it's of not like, horrible. I do something wrong so it affects you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was is that, that to like hurt a, me? Because... Was that like a close cousin or yeah. like... You know, exactly. Use a little more information. True. He encountered a curse when excavating the tombs of the builders of the pyramids of Giza. Quote, all people who enter this tomb who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it. May the crocodile be against them in water and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in water. The scorpion against them on land. They're not superstitious. He left those mummies alone. <laughs> Interesting. That's pretty cool. It also goes to show you. Also a little bit of a redundant mummy. Very redundant. I left the full thing as I found it weird. <laughs> yeah. Cutting and out the also hippopotamus. the hippo in water and then also the scorpion also on land. What do you want on your tombstone? Well, pepperoni. <laughs> but also, oh my God. Uh, I want you to say, may the crocodile be against them in water <laughs> and the snakes against them on land. <laughs> All right. Very good. And also yeah. the hippopotamus against them on Water and the scorpion, sir. <laughs> like, we're running Holding out of room. A pen. Like uh, <laughs> your tomb's you not that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't that big a deal. <laughs> um, it's not like you're tooting, common. <laughs> uh, later, 
uh, uh, this same man, Zahi Huas, was involved in the removal of two child mummies from the Bahariya oasis. He was haunted by the children in his dreams. The phenomenon did not stop until the mummy of the father was reunited with the children in the museum. That's cool. How cool is that? Very. Bringing families back together. That's very cool. And even like the, the implication that proximity is important. Yeah. Like as long as I'm near my boys. Right. Or I guess for them, because he's having nightmares of the children. Right. Like, you've brought us back to our father. We'll, we'll, we'll leave you. Right. Now, Interesting. Now, Zahi Huas eventually came to the conclusion that mummies should not be displayed. Which I, which I also think is interesting and in tying yeah. it into sort of the more mystical things that he may or may not have experienced. Right. It's just interesting. He also says he knew a sick boy who was miraculously cured when he looked into the eyes of the mummy of King Amos the first. I always think it's interesting when, I mean, I think it's interesting when anybody has these opinions or beliefs or whatever, but I always find it interesting when it's somebody who's an expert in that field has like supernatural leanings towards something that's also in that field. You know, know what I mean? It's interesting that somebody who is an archaeologist who's like studied this stuff on an, on an academic level then thinks these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. But really, like, I like feel like... a different kind of credence. There's such potential in storytelling from this. Like, it makes me think of Father... Uh, boy, it's not Father Karras from The Exorcists. Who's the other one? The old one. The old priest. Oh, man. I don't remember. Whatever. The yeah. old priest from the beginning of The Exorcist, that five-hour-long prologue where yeah. he's walking through the desert and he finds a statue of Pazuzu. Yeah. Like, it... Writing this, writing down my notes for this show tonight, yeah, it just you made felt me like that old watch. man priest. I just felt like an old man. Yeah, it just made me want to watch Indiana Jones so bad. Indiana Jones is so sweet. Breaking into a tomb and stuff. Oh yeah. my gosh, they're uh, they're supposed to be filming Indiana Jones five next year. Yeah, I think. Yep. Definitely take your time on that, boys. Yeah, I think Harrison Ford has all the time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Why don't you take another <laughs> summer off? I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> You know, why don't you start in 2020? That seems like a fresh start. Look, he could kick my ass oh, up yeah. and down the street, so you shouldn't joke too much about it, but... That also sounds like something he might say. <laughs> Feels like a very elderly man phrase. I'll kick your ass up and down the street. <laughs> oh, okay, Mr. Ford. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Now, uh, uh, going along with the fact that people sort of like fetishized mummies mm-hmm. and that culture and everything, it used to be a big thing for the wealthy to just go ahead and buy mummies and have oh viewing God. parties. So, like, it's as if I bought a mummy. And I'm like, hey, let's have everybody come over tonight. I We're going to unwrap the mummy. And then by exposing it to air, they're all of a sudden, like, decomposing on the spot. Wait, are they doing that with, for, with that intention? Like, they know that? Or are I you just saying so. that's a weird side effect? No, 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 no. It, well, yes, it's a weird side effect. But my understanding is that that was some of the fascination. That's desirable. Yeah. That's messed up. It's crazy. Rich people are cray-cray. Yeah. Well, I don't think they do it today. Well, maybe they do some other weird stuff. I'm looking at you, Zuckerberg. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I shouldn't have told you all my secrets. Have some sort of weird fight club where they use like ancient anti- antiquities as weapons and stuff. Yeah, that's only for dork. <laughs> I feel like that was a, aggressive dork rich people. I feel like that's a pretty good joke to be like. But I told I told Mark Zuckerberg all my secrets. I thought I thought I could trust him. <laughs> find out like I sold them all. Um, you sold all of them. He sold me out. Did you keep any of them? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, in 1699, Louis Penichet hmm. wrote an account in which a Polish traveler 
purchased two mummies in Alexandria and embarked on a sea journey with the mummies in the cargo hold. The traveler was alarmed by recurring visions of two specters, and the stormy seas did not abate until the mummies were thrown overboard. Oh, no. So one way or another, oh no, we're gonna absolutely destroy, <laughs> yeah, completely history, culture, human beings, bodies. Yeah. Find a way to remove your dignity thousands That's of terrible. years after you died. Isn't that crazy? Yes, I can't believe that. For some reason, that story in particular really brought the point home to me. That people were just like buying mummies, yeah. human yeah. bodies. But additionally. But- I'd be pretty very cool. scared. <laughs> that's a pretty. That's pretty crazy that the he was seeing specters until the mummies were not in his yeah. you know possession or by him anymore. Yeah. All right, now we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, uh, I consider so to speak. So so to speak, we're William. gonna wrap back up the mummies. Remember, we used to have Halloween parties as children, and we would wrap each other with toilet paper to play Who's the Mummy Now? And <laughs> I don't know, it's probably not called that, but that's a great name for it. It was it was a race. Who's the Mummy? The- wow, see ya. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, I considered whether or not I should go into the plot of all the mummy movies for a while. Oh, God. I won't. (laughs) I'm not going to. It did make me also want to watch the mummy movies. Uh, Did you know that Bricktown Frazier's character in those movies is called Rick O'Connell? Really? Yeah. Doesn't that sound like a... That sounds like a fake name. Yes, that is not a good movie name. Uh. Are they... Good? I think I've seen all of them. I I watched five minutes of The Mummy 1. To make you want more? No. No? It starts with Rick O'Connell shooting two Rick guns. Rick O'Connell? Yeah. But every time he shoots the guns, it seems like he didn't go through weapons training. Oh. So he's not, he doesn't seem natural holding these two pistols as he's fighting people. Brendan Fraser is like, he's got his shoulders hunched up. He's like trying to mime <laughs> that he's shooting, I guess. And they'll put the muzzle flash in later. So he's just constantly hunching his shoulders. It looks incredibly Wait, it's unnatural. It's the kickback, you know? I guess, but like, it looked yeah. terrible. Silly. Yeah. Uh, and then the Tom Cruise one, uh-huh. the less said, the better. <laughs> Although I will talk say, about disrespectful. I will say that that movie, they took the mummy character, uh, which in the Brendan Fraser movies, which in the original universal horror movies from the 1930s were uh, male characters named Imhotep mm-hmm. that were concerned with finding their sort of like resurrected bride. Yeah. Uh, the Tom Cruise movie did uh, a switcheroo. Mm-hmm. So the mummy that uh, uh, is kicking off the events of the film is a female mummy. Okay. And I found out that that might have its roots in the origin of fictional mummy storytelling. Ooh. This is... Elaborate further. I found this very fascinating and worth looking into. Some cool. of the original mummy stories... Because everything that we talked about is about, you know, unsealing a tomb and befalling a curse. We'll open this up. We're disrespecting the honor of this person. I'm going to die later of some illness. Mm -hmm. But we also tend to think about mummies as being shambling corpses, zombie-like, sort of the, like, you know, magically resurrected type thing with their arms out wrapped in gauze. Where did that come from? It seems like it came from 1827 when Jane Webb wrote a story called The Mummy, or A Tale of the 22nd Century, 1827. Now, Interesting. This was the first of a few mummy stories. It's very early. Also including Lost in a Pyramid, or The Mummy's Curse, which I like that type of old story 
name. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Right. I love the sort of lengthy, it's this or that. I, uh-huh. I kind of like that. Yeah. So Louisa May Alcott wrote another story in 1869. Huh. The Mummy's Soul was published by Anonymous, 1862. Was Louisa May Alcott's like... I, was it like a well? Yeah, I guess if it's or the mummy's curse. Yeah, because she wrote Little Women, I believe. Well, Jane Austen wrote oh, After Three Thousand Years, another mummy story in eighteen sixty eight. One of the thematic through lines through all these stories: female mummy getting back at uh, at male explorers who have desecrated desecrated their tombs, believed to have actually been very sort of proto feminist storytelling. Huh? About about men. Yeah. And how, like, they are actually, you know, like, sort of violently taking things from women. Right, right. Sort of, like, like very feminist revenge stories is what mummy storytelling in this vein started as. That's cool. How fascinating that is that? That makes me want to look those up. Doesn't it? Yeah. That's so cool. Now, interesting sidebar about the very, very first crazy. of these. Jane Webb wrote The Mummy. Or a tale of the 22nd century. It was very positively reviewed. Mm-hmm. It depicted a future, because it's the 22nd century. It takes place in the year 21 something something. She talks about how there are steam powered uh, doctors, mechanical doctors. That's cool. I read something that, like, there's a vague allusion to something that you could interpret as being a, a sort of archaic internet kind of thing. So it's distinctly sci-fi and mummy. Right. Uh, very interesting. I'm kind of intrigued by that even in and of itself. Yeah. But it, it drew positive reviews, one of which was written by John Claudius Loudon. In 1830, John Claudius Loudon, the reviewer, mm-hmm. tracked ja- down Jane Webb, the author, and they were married one year later. That's so cool. How sweet is that? I love that. He just loved her story. Yeah. I bet there's a really cool story there. Is it? Yeah. I, I wish I, there was like a movie about and that. And it's the birthplace of, of, a, of right. a famous movie monster. Right. You know? One way or another. Like, I feel like there's a lot to be said about our depiction of the mummy as being sort of like culturally insensitive at least. Yeah. But it's interesting because storytelling is also typically used as a vehicle for expressing something else that is metaphorical yeah. in nature. Yeah. And it seems like that's what mummy storytelling was. I find that very that fascinating. That is so interesting. And As, then how that got twisted, mm-hmm. basically. And especially for something that has endured to today. Yeah. Because even if there hasn't been a good mummy movie, potentially ever, yeah. it's something that everybody's familiar with. Was um was the female mummy in the Tom Cruise stinker, like was that her storyline at all? Or was she just like a bad guy? She was just a bad guy. Okay. I found it very disappointing. Would have been too interesting, I guess. That is so uh, interesting to me that it was like a feminist kind of like revenge story. Right? I think it's pretty against cool. Against men who take things. Uh, That's so cool. Which is partially what makes the uh, recent Mommy movie even more problematic. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to spoil the Mommy movie. Yeah. We're wrapping up the show anyway. Yeah. Spoilers. If you don't want to know what happens in the Tom Cruise Mommy movie... I kind of, I respect that. <laughs> you don't need to know anything. But uh, but yeah, get out now. I'm about to say what happens. So in that movie, the mummy is somebody who was bad, which I think is the right way to go. You have to be like thousands of, it's not just that every mummy is scary and evil because then you're getting into the problem of just being like, well, no, this was part of our society, man. Yeah. Like, don't just tell us that we were all monsters. 
Right. Uh, so it has to be that she was villainous when she was alive. She dies. She's punished. She's buried. She was buried in uh, her tomb was buried under mercury to keep people wow. away, which I think is cool. Yeah. Like, I thought that was a cool idea to be like, people go away. Like, it's buried in toxic material. Right. Uh, Tom Cruise releases her and he is cursed. Right. So that's what makes him special. Why does he release her? Is he an archaeologist and he was just like doing research? He's an impulsive archaeologist. He's very. <laughs> the impulsive archaeologist. He, he feels like that character should not be being played by Tom Cruise. He's very smarmy. And uh, it really feels like it. If it were played by Chris Pratt, uh-huh. it would make a lot more sense. Okay, I, I can picture that kind of character real quick. Is that the fake butt movie? I don't think so. Okay, I don't Wasn't think so that either. Like Mr. Viking or something. Mr. Viking, no. But oh, that's my spec script. Oh, but oh, Valkyrie, Valkyrie, that's what it is. Valkyrie. Yeah. All right. Mr. Viking is my story about a Viking lost in time who lands in modern day New York City and accidentally gets a job at a public school. Sure. So anyway. <laughs> Oh, ran out of breath. I know. So uh, by the end of the movie, Tom Cruise has stolen the mummy's powers. Okay, great. He is the mummy now. Oh, my God. Who is the mummy now? Tommy <laughs> Cruise. He, by the end of the movie, he's wearing a... a He's wearing a bandana that covers most of his face, which I think is meant to evoke... Right, it's a mummy-esque. Imagery. Yep. And they're like, what will become of him now? Will you choose to work for good or for evil? We may never know, especially because the dark universe, the shared universe of all the Universal Monster movies, is definitely canceled. Right, exactly. That's why we don't know. So Tom Cruise desecrates her tomb, steals her power, kills her. Yeah. And so it's just his now. Great. Which feels more metaphorical of what... (laughs) we have done done to that sort of culture. So maybe in a weird way. I don't know if that's how they meant it, but it is weirdly fitting. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, Kristen, with <laughs> well, that, um, I conclude the story of The Mummy. Excellent. That was awesome. Yeah. I find Egyptian history really interesting. I find it very like cool. Like that, that kind of era. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's really interesting. It Always seems... one of my favorite sections of a museum. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's It's... It just feels, it feels different. It feels, it, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. I guess that's why. It also feels like one of those things where it's like, you have to imagine a society that was once so great. Right. And, right. It's, and it's hard to understand how that, because it also means like, this could all go. Well, yeah. I think also just everything was given so much care and respect mm. in um, such a visual and tangible way. Yeah. I just think it's really interesting, like all the iconography and all of the um, totems and things like that. I just really like all that. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. There you have it. Well, that wraps it up for this week. So there it is. That's the episode that we recorded way back in 2018. Back when Guide to the Unknown was still just in the double digits. Isn't that weird? Episode 24. It feels like it was a million years ago. I think the only thing that's really different now, though, is that I'm no longer the Haunted Sponge online. Now I'm the Myth Traveler. Gigantic change. Uh, Yeah, hope you had a good time, everybody. Super fun taking a look back. And again, we will see you this Friday for more mummy fun. So definitely join us there. But until that time comes, we must once again travel back again to the netherworld. Go we. (laughs) 